0: Well now if you would let's turn our Bibles to the book of Psalms and more specifically book two of the five books of the Psalms. Psalms are broken into five books more than likely reflecting the five books of Moses and a poetic Torah. The law of God in poetry form or even another way to think about the whole book of Psalms is the story of David in poetry form. The people of Israel expressing Their cries, sharing their prayers, and putting their hope and trust in God through the ups and downs of life. That's why John Calvin said that the book of Psalms is the anatomy of one's soul. Every single feeling, thought, or experience in life is reflected at some point in these 150 Psalms. So we turn our attention now to Psalm 50, and then, Lord willing, next week we will pick up where the summer series left off and pick up Psalm 52. I encourage you to read ahead throughout your week this week. Prepare your heart. Read Psalm 52 once, twice, every day this week. But here we turn ourselves to Psalm 50. I was talking with John and Wes one time before this sermon series started. Oh, this was over a year or so ago now. And I was explaining to them that the Psalms are to be experienced in a way that's different from other sections of Scripture. Let's just face the facts here the Psalms are poetry, they're songs. This sermon series is called The Songs of Our Savior because they were sung, and they were sung by Jesus himself. We have clear evidence of this in the gospel accounts. So they're to be used. And throughout preaching the psalms, it's sometimes a struggle to figure out when you're approaching a psalm, how do I communicate the medium of the psalms? Do I write my own poem? Do I figure out some other artistic art form or way to communicate the theological message of the Psalms. More often than not, I kind of resort back to just teaching you what the message is. And so I'm going to do that right here from the start. The big idea of Psalm 50 is that an accurate view of God results in accurate worship of God. I think if you were to read and reread Psalm 50, you might say it a different way, but hopefully we'd come to an agreement that Psalm 50 is given to us in God's Word to tell us that your view of God will dictate your worship of God. Therefore, you must accurately know who he is and what he's like, and only then will you have an acceptable and appropriate worship of God. There's the big idea. We could stop, we could close. We could say, that was good, that was helpful, thank you. We could apply it in a few different ways and we could move on. I know for some of you, poetry is not your forte, and it's frustrating. If that's what the psalmist was trying to say, then just say that. Because if you read through Psalm 50, as we're about to do, you'll notice he doesn't quite say it that way. My little succinct, pithy summary is me trying to teach you the message of the psalm. But Psalm 50 isn't meant to teach you the message only. It's to create a picture for you to experience, so that maybe even in perhaps the medium itself, the art of the poetry, you worship. You know, the medium can affect the message. So, if you will bear with me, we have 150 psalms, and I felt inspired this week to try something new. I've given you the big idea. I could unpack that big idea in its three stanzas. But for today, because of this little line that I read in a commentary, Alan Ross, excellent commentary on the psalms, he says this. Psalm 50 is written in the form of a legal accusation in which the Lord Yahweh comes to judge the worshiping community. This imaginary courtroom scene serves the psalmist well as he brings two indictments to his people. It is not an actual description of God appearing and coming. It is not a prophecy of him going to come. Rather, Psalm 50 is a vision of a hypothetical court case asking the question, what if the Lord God did come into Jerusalem and set up his court inside of that sanctuary and examine and charge the people of God? Friends, I've read various commentaries. I've read, read, and reread Psalm 50. I think he's right. I think that's a faithful summary of what Psalm 50 is like. So, here's my experiment with you. I would like to report to you an imaginary story based on my study of Psalm 50. So, picture yourself turning on the television in modern day, reading a news report in the ancient day, or hearing a herald. And the third picture is probably the best. Here I am. I'm the herald of an ancient people, and I'm going to report to you events that took place in Jerusalem. But you're not in Jerusalem, so you're dependent upon me to tell you what's happening. And this vision is a reporting, an accounting of what if, So let's all put on our imagination hats. Let's use our theatrical minds and hearts. And let's consider what it would be like if yours truly, Phil, were your reporter. And here we are, live in downtown Jerusalem at the Temple Complex. We've got an amazing city known as Zion, looking awfully beautiful today. In fact, we might call it the perfection of beauty And as we look around, there's quite a crowd. It is stirring. There are all the people of God here, every single one of them, and they are awaiting the judge. These people, they've been called the faithful ones, the ones who have made a covenant relationship with the judge himself. They've made sacrifices in the past that solidified and communicated this relationship. And as I said, all of them are here. So it's quite a stir, friends. All the people of Israel are about to be judged Because all of them have been summoned. Now I've gone around before the proceedings have taken place and I've talked with a handful of them and I get the sense that most of the people in the room are feeling quite confident that they're going to be declared righteous by the judge. So to sum things up, I'd say there's two groups of people. There's this one contingent that told me that they they feel like they've been faithful, taking care of all that God needs, feeding him day and night. They have given him bull after bull, goat after goat, everything that he could possibly wish or ask for, they're the ones that have faithfully provided God's needs. And there's not been a single day that they've gone by without missing a feeding, knowing how hungry the gods are up in the heaven, and Yahweh in particular. So these people are sensing that the judge is going to come down and basically thank them. Oh, thank you, people, for all of the food. It was delicious. What a pleasing aroma. Thank you. But that's not all, there's a second group of people here and they have been feeling optimistic as well. They see that this court proceeding will happen in such a way because they think that the judge is quite lenient. You know, his interpretation of the laws is, "Eh, you know, we'll just see. In fact, one person, and I quote, said, the judge, he's just like one of us. He's been pretty chill lately. Honestly, I can't even remember the last time I've heard from him. Since he's not been around for a while, we've just assumed that everything's fine here in Israel. So someone chimed in after hearing this report and said, yeah, I I kind of agree with that guy. If he were really that upset, he would have come down a long time ago and set things straight. And I mean, we're talking years since God's really said anything. I've actually forgot. What's his name? Well, if that wasn't all this... oh." this just in I'm being told that he is coming the judge is on his way as we speak oh friends wow just wow this is quite a sight it is actually quite hard to describe I'm seeing it now but I have very few words I'll try my best okay confirmation the judge is in fact coming here today he is the mighty one the supreme creator and ruler of the entire universe and none other than the personal god who has made a covenant with his people israel he is the honorable el elohim yahweh look at verse one of your text that is the one presiding over today's proceedings and there is no mistaking it this is the same exact appearance that we saw back at mount sinai When Moses and all the Ten Commandments were given, the fire, the tempest, the storm that was brewing, that's the same judge we're dealing with here today. The El, the Elohim, the Yahweh, God of heaven and earth. And, oh, looks like we've got two witnesses with him. This is going to be very interesting, ladies and gentlemen. The first of the two witnesses he has is heaven, and the second witness is earth. I have a feeling this could get very interesting. Let's, let's see what's going to take place. The judge took a seat. Now it's time to hear the witnesses. And it's heaven. Heaven goes first. What a testimony, friends. Let's just say that the heavens are a bit long-winded. But the gist, if we could sum it up, is that the heavens declare that Yahweh is, in fact, a righteous judge. And that sums up testimony number one. Now we look over and see, oh, here comes testimony number two from the earth. And the earth just shakes its head and says, not more needs to be said. Amen. We agree. The Lord is righteous. Well, now that the witnesses have given their word and their affirmation that the judge, the honorable El Elohim Yahweh is in fact righteous, we're ready to move on with these proceedings. First, we have the prosecuting attorney giving his case Oh wait, this is interesting. I was not expecting this, but the judge, the one who was seated on the throne, is the one coming down from the judge's stand, and he is the prosecutor. Oh friends, have we seen this before? This might go down in history as one of the most crazy court cases ever. The judge is now the prosecutor, and it seems as if he's going to make a charge against Israel. Well, let's listen in. In fact, I hear we have a live look at the courtroom itself. Let's hear the words from the judge himself. Starting in verse 7, the judge says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, nor your burnt offerings, for they are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field, and all is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all of its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Wow, friends, we have a little bit break in the action, so let's just take that in for a second. Wow, that was something. Okay, so as we take a minute before this second speech that's about to be delivered, I think it's safe to say that there's a group of people that were not expecting to hear that. They were caught off guard. And that was punchy right from that first word. Did you catch that when the judge spoke, he said, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. Hear, oh, that's that Hebrew word, shema, the thing that those Hebrew people are praying literally every day, and we know that they're faithful to their prayers and their sacrifices, never miss a day. So it seems fitting that he would refer to them as hear, shema, as it's reflected in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he wants those people to hear him testify against them. And then notice that little phrase, I am God, your God. That's the same exact introduction from the Ten Commandments. The very thing that they seem to not understand. I mean, what a clever and clear way to begin, reminding them of the very promises and the day of the covenant on Mount Sinai. No wonder he came with all of that thunder and lightning and all of that fanfare. But friends, the heart of the indictment seems to be the very thing that these people were saying they were so confident that they would not hear they are hearing that their faithful sacrifices, as faithful as they have been, are in fact an abomination to God. He doesn't love them. He doesn't want them. And he says that they have missed the whole point. Can you just imagine what it might feel like to be one of those people thinking we're about to get a big thank you pat on the back from God and instead being told that all this time, all this money, and all of these sacrifices have in fact been the wrong sacrifice in the first place. Man, they thought they were helping God, and God just sets them straight and says to them, I am El Elohim Yahweh. I made the heavens and the earth. All of these are mine. If I was hungry, which I'm not, I wouldn't ask you. A bit of sarcasm, I think. And so he, he lays it down. What a stunning turn of events here today. I, I, I'm, just, I'm speechless. Oh, This just in, back in the courtroom, they're about to resume the second charge to the people. And here we go, let's listen in. Live from Jerusalem, the judge, I mean, the prosecution is about to speak. Verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit, and you speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you, and I lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Well, friends, that appears to be all. I guess since the judge is also the prosecutor, there is no verdict. The charge and the verdict are one in the same. And as we already said, heaven and earth have already witnessed against all of these people in Israel that he, in fact, is the righteous judge. And so, to recap, just like we heard in that first speech, the judge is declaring that his very covenant people are wicked Oh, please don't confuse the language. The wicked are not addressing some pagan nations in this second speech. He is addressing the second group of Israelites that we spoke to earlier today. You know, those ones that thought, oh, the judge is chill. He's just like one of us. And several of them were feeling very confident in the fact that he hadn't spoken for so long. And it seems to be that his patience and his silence was not affirmation of their behavior. Remember, when they said to me when I was asking earlier that, oh, everything's going to be okay because the judge hasn't condemned us anytime time recently. Well, I think it's safe to say whether group one or group two, this was not what they were expecting. Friends, chilling, chilling words. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Not much more to be said over and out. Jerusalem All done. So, friends, that would be my example of trying to report to you Psalm 50 in some sort of poetic way. Whether you like it or not, the message is the same. The message is that God demands worship. And this God demands worship based upon an accurate view of God. Therefore, the first few verses declare clearly that God is in fact the creator of heaven and earth and all of creation is shouting forth that he is the righteous judge. That's what we see in verses one through six. Notice that concluding phrase, the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. And we find in these first few verses the summoning, the calling of God's people to an account. And he tells them that he wants to gather all of his faithful ones. And this is why when you read that little phrase, to the wicked, he is not talking about Egypt and Assyria and Babylon. He is talking about his people throughout the whole psalm. And there's two kinds of them. There are those that are hypocritical and formalistic in their worship. And then there are those that feel like because God hasn't struck them down dead anytime recently, ah, he's just like one of us. And he's okay with all of our deceit all of our adultery, all of our inappropriate, immoral behavior, and God will judge us okay. He's filled with grace and mercy, right? And those are the two things that we find in Psalm 50. So I ask you, what about us? What if God Almighty came to Embassy Church I mean, what if this wasn't a theatrical performance? What if this was not just a fictitious story? What if this was real? What if the judge of heaven and earth came down into the courtroom and judged the people of God? What might he say? What what would that sound like? Friends, guess what? The Bible tells us that that already happened. The judge... The creator God, the one who is righteous, he came down in the person of Jesus Christ. This is not fictitious storytelling. This is fact. There is a God-man who walked on this earth, and he himself was the judge of heaven and earth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word who became flesh was God. And that word lived a life that all of the people of Israel were supposed to live and look like. But that God-man, Jesus Christ, did not just exemplify what a covenant, faithful life looked like and offer appropriate sacrifice. He walked himself all the way into Jerusalem on the steps of the temple. And as I just read for you from Matthew chapter 23, he condemned hypocrisy. He judged those who are doing their sacrifices day and night. And he said to them, yes, you should have done your sacrifices, but you have neglected a heart that was filled with justice and mercy and steadfast love. Your insides are ugly, even though on the outside, everything looks nice and tidy. Sounds just like that first group of people. And if that weren't enough, time and time again, he got interacted with those who would fit in that second group of people. We could call them the lady of the night that's washing Jesus' hair, or the tax collectors that are ripping people off and were despised in society. You could go down the list, reading through the Gospels, and see that Jesus both condemned the religious hypocrite, and he called those who were walking away from God, whether in Israel or outside of Israel, to repentance and faith and a new way of living. The same judge from Psalm 50 took on flesh in the person of Jesus. Except in a more extreme turn of events, as our psalm ends, it says, Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. And as the report said, that's chilling words. Ripped apart, it's the same language you use for lions and wolves. God is speaking in very strong language. And he says that the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice, that is the one that glorifies me. And to one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And God delivered on that promise. He showed us the way of salvation through the rightly ordered worship of the one true Israelite, Jesus Christ, who did not just go around condemning people, but he became judge to accuser, defend it, Do you realize that the crazy absurd claim of the Bible is that the judge of the universe became judged and took on the punishment and judgment that you and I deserve? Whether you tend to fall in the one category of being a religious hypocrite and you go through your emotions and feel really good and confident and smug about your religious performance, your Bible reading, your church attendance, all of your scripture memory, or if you're in the other camp And you just think, well, God's gracious. And he just thinks that he and I, we've got a good thing going. And there's no need for judgment for me. He's just like one of us. And in both cases, the judge affirms the judgment of God, but then bears the judgment of God. And the reason is because the only way for Psalm 50 to actually take heart root change in your life for you to give acceptable sacrifice is to offer one with thanksgiving that would glorify the Lord God the judge and the reason you should offer a thank offering is because that independent completely set apart and holy God does not need you but he wants you That God who gave you everything and you forgot him and you stiff-armed him and you did not thank him and you just go on your life thinking that all that you have is yours, that money is yours, that time is yours, that schedule book is yours, and he wants to remind you all is mine. And in your sinful rebellion against him, whether through religious hypocrisy or licentious lewd behaviors, either way, we forget God, we don't thank him, and we are worthy of being torn apart. But because of the grace and mercy of this judge, he was torn apart on the cross. His flesh was ripped from his back, his nails were pierced in his hands, and he stood condemned even though he was sinless and perfect. And this, my friends, is the ultimate courtroom scene of judgment in Jerusalem. And that judgment that has been declared and is being declared to you is not fictitious theatrics. It is the story of the world. So I ask you again, if God were to come in this space right now through his word and judge your heart, are you thankful for all that he has done and given you? And we're not even just talking about food and clothing and all of those things that we should be content, but how about supremely by sending himself as the sacrificial payment that blood of bulls and goats could never do to give forgiveness of sins. This judge has provided that for you. And he has provided that for the whole world, not just the nation of Israel. And he is asking that you and I would hear that good news week in and week out and be overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude. This God is good. He is deserved of my life and my worship. There is no sacrifice that I could give that would be enough to give him what he needs because he doesn't need anything, number one, but number two, because his sacrifice so outmatches anything that I could ever give back. I will never repay him for all that he has given me. And that heart, my friends, will transform your life, your family, your church, in our world, and that's the very thing he's requiring in Psalm 50. So, friends, please, I plead with you, I beg with you, read Psalm 50 as actually coming true, not as silly theatrics, but as legitimately being the courtroom case in Jerusalem, as Jesus both judge and is judged, so that you and I could give offerings of thanks. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to pause now and we want to do just that. We want to thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for his incarnation that made it possible for us to not read Psalm 50 and wonder, I wonder what it would be like if God came down and judged religious hypocrites and those living however they want and please. I pray we would know that that already happened in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though that we deserve to be torn apart and torn to pieces, and that judgment is only right and deserving of all of us, Jesus Christ displays your great love and mercy and forgiveness. Lord, would your spirit freshly remind us of the great joy and gratitude that comes from hearing about the way of salvation? that you do deliver people that are condemned and are standing and sitting in the blocks of being declared not guilty. And may they experience, through the preaching of your word, the joy, the renewed joy of hearing from your word not guilty. It is finished. All is paid. Sons and daughters are now welcome to the table so that we can feast with all that you have done. Oh, Lord, you have done great things. And we pray that Embassy Church would be a church so marked not by our fervor or activity, but by our love and our gratitude. And then, oh, let us be not frivolous, but in a fury of activities, serving and loving, as just a small drop of our expression of gratitude. Lord, rightly order our worship even as we come to take the Lord's Supper now, I pray that we would take the right attitude and heart for this ritual, this beautiful, Christ-centered, cross-focused ritual. And as we sing to conclude our service, I pray that we would have songs in our heart that are not just words and formalism, but they would be words flowing from the Spirit of God, changing our hearts anew, being reminded of all that you have done. God, this and much, much more, we pray.